Here's the thing though. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of our podcast. Here's the thing though. My name is Saliha and I'm your host for today. I'm here with my producer slash editor, Mitch Price. Hello. Before we begin, we'd like to acknowledge the Darug and Kuringai people who are the traditional owners of the land that we are recording on today. We'd like to pay our respects to all First Nations people past, present and future and acknowledge that we're recording on stolen land and that sovereignty was never ceded. So Mitch, how's it going? How's your week been? My week has been mostly uninteresting and I haven't really done anything, but that has been great and I'm loving it so far. So let's just, let's just keep riding that wave, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> How it's have nice you been? to have nothing on. Yeah, exactly. It's always good. How have you been doing? Um, good. It's been a bit of a wild week for me, a bit of a flurry, just like Seamus News column that I post, that I wrote up and that was actually really well received. A few of you guys messaged me saying that you really loved it, which made me really, really happy because... I wasn't initially feeling super sure of it. Um, there was a lot of editing involved on my end and constant cutting, pacing, not being happy with it. So I'm really, really glad that people actually vibed with it. I'll upload it along with the past columns that I've written uh, onto my Instagram starting this week so that it's all accessible to you guys who weren't signed up and they came out and missed out. Uh, had a bit of a weird weekend, which is getting me down, but I had a lovely morning today which was really, really nice. Um, it's We're having like really nice weather today. It's like that soft, misty, kind of gentle cottagecore rain vibe. tea drinking weather. Tea drinking, snuggling the blankets, watch a Harry Potter kind of weather today, which is my favorite, favorite kind of weather. Um, I don't know. I just had like a really like, I was telling Mitch about it earlier, just a really grounding morning today. Like I it was, I like just kind of took my time getting ready. I walked through the bus stop in the rain with no umbrella, which was, you know, I couldn't find my umbrella, but it actually ended up working out really nicely. And I just like vibed with nature and like the magpies and like, it just, I don't know. I felt really like grounded. I felt like I was really actually part of the world. It, like I didn't listen to any music. I just kind of enjoyed my surroundings. And then on the train, I was like, cause the commute here is like ridiculous. It's like an hour and a half, two hours. Um, and I just read this book that I'm reading right now called Anxious People, which I am really, really loving. I'm going to write you guys a review for it, which I'll put up uh, end of this week. I, feel, I don't know. It was just nice. I just had like a really nice romantic morning today on the way here. That's lovely. Very mindful. Yeah. Very present. Yeah. That's great. And I feel like things have been really chaotic for me. So that was like very much needed. I was like a little frog in a little pot being watered. Little, yes. Okay. Being watered by somebody. I don't know. I was just like, I was vibing. What a beautiful image. <laughs> there we go. No wonder you're a writer. Look at that. I'm feeling really whimsical today. <laughs> Everything's a little bit whimsical. But yeah, let's let's get into our follow-up for today. For our follow-up, I want to mention a pedestrian TV article that came out yesterday by one of our listeners, Saskia. She actually interviewed me a while back uh, talking about interracial relationships and navigating that situation and stuff. I wrote this really great article talking about that from a POC perspective. You guys should check it out. It um, it discusses a couple of our past episodes as well. And, you know, I'm in it and I'm excited about it. So read it. Uh, it it's, it's on Pedestrian TV. And it's called Interracial Relationships, How to Navigate Them as a POC and What Red Flags to Look Out For. As for the second part of our follow-up, uh, a listener, Jess, mentioned in one of our Facebook threads just like some ideas around I guess homelessness because in the last episode we talked about 
capitalist dystopia. And one of the things we mentioned was how there are actually more houses than homeless people in Australia and how it's like such a fixable issue. And the only reason that we don't fix it is because we don't want to as a capitalist society. She said that she was super surprised that we have more empty houses than homeless people. But in the spirit of critical thinking, she'd like to challenge socialists or kind of anybody that's pondering this issue to think more deeply about these issues and how it would work in real life, what the flow and the effects would be, what unintended consequences might be, et cetera, et cetera. So for example, like who owns these empty houses? Presumably investors looking for capital gains. If they were forced to house homeless people, would that drive property prices down? If so, would that erode the profitability of investment properties and reduce capital inflows into excess housing? In which case, would we even have excess housing anymore? Or, you know, is the answer to this whole thing like, oh, well, it couldn't work in the current capitalist society only if there was a revolution? In which case, bar an actual revolution, are these socialist arguments in danger of being theoretical only? And what could we propose or achieve in the meantime that improves things in the current environment? Hmm... I feel like my maybe like instant response to this is like, yeah, I probably would decrease the value of investment properties, but I don't believe investment properties as a socialist. Like, I think houses shouldn't be investments. They should be homes. I don't believe in people profiting off like housing. It shouldn't be something you profit off. It should be something that everybody has the right to. So yeah, like giving empty houses to homeless people would probably ruin the housing industry in terms of like the value of its investments. But that's like a good thing to me because I don't give a shit about housing investments and I don't give a shit about like this this idea of, I guess, investments in general and profiting off something that is like a necessary thing for people to survive. Yeah, I guess I would agree with the latter part of her question that I guess we sort of need an entirely new framework. Like we could argue the logistics of how we could immediately uh, tackle these sort of issues, but I think they're not really going to change things in the long run and they often fall to the trappings of incrementalism and reformism uh, where they're they're often more symbolic than anything else. I do think we need to create a new framework to approach these issues uh, because I think you will often just get caught up in the logic of capitalism and not really be able to escape that. Yeah, I think um, just to kind of finish that off, these kind of arguments about like, oh, well, how would this affect investment and stuff are like the problem with reform. It's why we're like revolutionary socialists because you cannot reform your way out of capitalism and you can't reform the society in a law kind of sense to make it accessible to everybody because it's literally built on inequality and it's built on the assumption that some people aren't worth as much as other people and that some people deserve things that other people don't. You can't reform your way out of a society like that. You have to build it in you. So yeah, like I guess maybe we would need a revolution or at least some form of mass upheaval and change to eradicate homelessness because investors aren't just going to give up their houses. But, like, that's the point. That's why we're socialists, you know? Exactly. Anyway, let's move on to today's topic. There's less than two weeks until Christmas, 10 days from today of our recording, and holiday fever is in the air. There's chaotic shopping centres, a shit ton of Christmas merchandising, products literally everywhere I look, of red and green glitter, Christmas music in every store on repeat, including the retail stores that I work at, which is a bit (laughs) mind-melting. And strangers at work are constantly asking me what my Christmas plans are. It's all a little overwhelming. Today, we're discussing Christmas culture in two ways. First, the double standards that come with Christmas versus other religious holidays and just how suffocating and uncomfortable 
this time of year can be for somebody like me and other Muslim people or people who don't celebrate Christmas. And then we're going to talk about the commodification and consumerist culture around Christmas and how it's capitalism's favourite time of the year too. So, let's get into it. The first time I participated in Secret Santa, it was at work and I was very, very conflicted about it. On the one hand, I love giving gifts. I love it. It's so much fun. Like you get to make all these fun decisions. You get to impress the person with the stuff that you got. It's definitely part of my love language. Uh, I take a lot of joy in it. So it should have been really fun and I wanted it to be. But it kind of wasn't and I felt a little bit off about it. I feel like despite that excitement, there was definitely some kind of internal struggle or uncomfortableness about the whole situation, which felt kind of off and icky. And I couldn't really put my finger on why. When we finally did all our gift reveals, uh, it turns out the person that's getting a gift got one for me as well. So we actually got each other, which is kind of cute. Um, I got them like a pretty fancy Lush set and they got me a chapstick, which was tinted in a color made for white people that I couldn't even wear without looking pasty as fuck. <laughs> I know that's a little bit ungrateful of me. They did get me a present and I shouldn't be annoyed. And I knew that in the moment as well, but it kind of was maybe more than I, you would expect me to be. Like I knew that I was internally kind of overreacting a little bit to the situation and I figured I was just being a brat and I moved on but I was always kind of weird and off about you know all the other future various work secret standards that I've participated in since and they were always kind of uncomfortable and weird and it took me a while to realize why I overreacted so much to the first secret standard and why I never really liked them it wasn't necessarily like the imbalance in gift giving though maybe that was a small part of it it was the it was the assumption that people have for me to have to participate and celebrate in christmas despite being like a visibly muslim woman like i think the reason that i always had such a conflicted relationship with all these situations and why i was maybe unnecessary unnecessarily shitty about secret santas was because like why am i doing this it feels kind of wrong i don't celebrate christmas i never have celebrate christmas i don't care about christmas it's just not part of my lifestyle and it never really has been i grew up in like a muslim school most of my friends growing up were other muslim people who didn't celebrate christmas so it's really kind of outside of my comfort zone um so i always felt like by kind of being expected to participate in secret santas and christmas dinners and kris kringles and all that stuff i always felt like i was having my identity kind of colonized a little bit it, was, it felt like a forceful assimilation into Christmas culture, which is something that I had zero desire to do. And I feel like I was just kind of developing this internalized resentment towards Christmas because I was constantly having my own beliefs and identity erased uh, in order to accommodate like white people and their Christmas uh, traditions. And it kind of made me start to hate Christmas. Like I really became and still am to this day pretty resentful around the Christmas time, the Christmas period and Christmas culture. Because there's this real feeling of suffocation that comes every Christmas season when you're a religious minority that doesn't celebrate it. There's these, all these expectations for you to fake the Christmas spirit for everybody else and you're labelled as like a mean kind of party-pooping Grinch if you don't. Because of course, white fragility is more important than ensuring your own religious beliefs aren't dismissed and erased, so how dare we not be super excited for a holiday that we don't give a shit about. I've lost count of the amount of times that I've been expected to celebrate Christmas for the sake of the people around me and the feelings of other people. Like it's seen as mean if I don't celebrate Christmas, despite the fact that it's literally against my religion. 
all the times that I've had to wear Christmas-themed makeup and accessories or costumes for work and other parties, the amount of times I've been expected to partake in Christmas gift-giving despite the fact that I don't celebrate it, the constant horror and shock that people display when I actually express that maybe I'm not super comfortable with some of the Christmas stuff that I have to do or that maybe I don't really want to. I feel really villainized, um, which is why I usually don't. Like even when I don't want to and even when I feel like it's kind of against my principles and beliefs, I'll generally participate in Secret Santa. I've never to this day said no because I don't want to be that Grinch and I don't want to be a party pooper and I don't want to be labeled as that angry brown girl that's disrupting the good fun time for white people And I don't want to be that person, especially when we're so villainized all the time anyway. And everybody's always complaining about how much Muslim people don't assimilate, quote unquote. And despite the fact that I maybe don't care that people think that, I also don't want to cause unnecessary drama for myself. And I don't want to be labeled as the angry brown girl. So I deal with it. And I celebrate Christmas with other people, even though I don't want to. And it sucks. My family doesn't celebrate Christmas. Uh, most of the years growing up, we would either just make use of the public holiday and have like a barbecue or go to the beach or something. Or some days we would just stay home and watch movies and kind of do nothing. But the point is, it's not a big deal for us. It's literally just like another random meaningless public holiday that happens. Um, and we just kind of would do our own thing because none of us celebrate it and none of us are working on Christmas Day, obviously, because it's a public holiday. Last year, however, I had my first ever Christmas, like real Christmas, with Mitch's family because they celebrate it and it's important to them. And I was invited and obviously I participated out of respect for his family and also because, you know, I mean, I enjoy having an excuse to buy him gifts and stuff. And I like, Aww. yeah, I mean, I, I, lo- I love Mitch and his mom. Like, I'm happy to hang out with them and do fun stuff. Uh, I was maybe slightly concerned about celebrating Christmas with Mitch's family because while obviously I have a great time with Mitch and his mom because I'm close to them, I also kind of don't really want to let white people take over my religion or enforce their practices upon me and like assimilate me it's kind of like this protectiveness that I feel towards my religion and beliefs after being expected to compromise them so much like just growing up and in my work environment and stuff I think I'm really anxious around doing stuff for Christmas because I feel like I'm betraying myself and my culture just because I constantly feel like I have to represent Islam because people are trying to shut us up all the time and so when you're so used to everybody like quashing your beliefs and expecting you to celebrate Christmas when you do it voluntarily like I did with Mitch's family last year it feels like wrong and it kind of feels like you're betraying your culture a little bit and you're like assimilating you know being colonized um but obviously the Christmas itself like with Mitch's family was fine it was it was, it was good we like exchanged gifts we ate we went home pretty normal probably what you'd expect from like a Christmas thing I guess I mean not like I had that many expectations because I don't I hadn't really done Christmas before um However, there was a small interaction that I think it's probably a really accurate reflection of like how much people kind of expect Muslims to know a lot about Christmas and to participate in it, to be like citizens of our society. At the Christmas table, everybody got Christmas crackers, which I have, I've literally never seen a Christmas cracker before, like in person. Um, and inside there were these little like paper crown things that everybody was wearing. And I got to crack a Christmas cracker, which is, you know, fun. Uh, and you for obvious reasons um and that was my first time doing it and I was all like oh that's what these crowns are because I've seen them in Instagram photos and I've seen my friends post like stories and I honestly just never made the connection because I've never been to a Christmas event like this before so I was like oh and those are the crowns everybody wears I get it now (laughs) you know which is like I mean Maybe it's a little bit silly. Like Mitch thought it was kind of funny. Bit of a moment of innocence for me, having no idea what the fuck a Christmas cracker was. 
But there seems to be like a wider shock in the family that I didn't know what it was. And maybe it is a bit silly. Maybe I should have known what it is. But there seemed to be a link between that and just like, I think they it finally hit them that I actually don't celebrate Christmas, like to the point where I don't know what's in a Christmas cracker. Like, I think there was a moment of clarity for his family where they were like, oh shit. Like she actually doesn't know shit about Christmas. Like, like actually nothing. Um, and for them, it was really novel and exciting. They're like, oh, how fun. And it's cute. But that moment was palpable for me. And it was a little bit awkward because it was just like, yeah, I mean, of fucking course I don't know what is in a Christmas cracker. I'm literally Muslim. Like, I wear a hijab. Like, I grew up in, like, a, the Muslim community in Mount Druid. Like, I don't know shit about Christmas crackers. Yeah, it's like, even if it's innocent, there's definitely a sense of tension there. Where even though the way we celebrate Christmas uh, with my family, um, it's not really a religious holiday. Uh, we don't really celebrate, at least in the larger family, the sort of the religious aspects of the holiday. It's still, when you're in your bubble, it's so strange to think that someone wouldn't understand the certain iconographies and certain aspects of Christmas which just seem to dominate our lives because, you know, as a white family, we, whether we're religious or not, there is a Christian history uh, underpinning it. Yeah, and I was, like, feeling a little bit maybe irritated or alienated at their shock that I don't know things about Christmas because it's like, yeah, why do you expect me to know things? Why is this so shocking to you? Like, I'm a brown Pakistani girl who wears a hijab, like... And, I, and I've told you guys that this is my first Christmas. I don't think they actually believed me until that moment. And that irritated me a little bit, just in the sense that, like, can we stop being so shocked that, like, I don't know about this? Like, is it so shocking that I just have a different religion? Like, why is that so alien to you? It shouldn't be such a big deal. And I was maybe feeling a little bit defensive of my religion because of it. Um, I think, yeah, so that surprise, maybe in hindsight, bothered me a little bit. Because, I don't know, I just hate expectations like that. I hate having to like prove my religion and have to I hate having to like assimilate and I just hate all the labels and expectations that come with Christmas and the alienation that comes when you don't celebrate Christmas. And then I think, you know, on top of it all, there's just a bit of a hypocrisy here that I don't like. There's this hypocrisy of people expecting Muslims to assimilate into Christmas but like literally never bothering to learn what Eid is or what underlines underlies a lot of kind of my religion. Like, how can you expect me to know so much about Christmas when you don't know anything about me and my religion? They do expect that because there's a white entitlement. And this is not about Mitch's family. I just mean in a general sense. There is a white entitlement that expects Muslims to know everything about whiteness and Christianity and Western culture and to practice it despite the fact that nobody here is getting to know us and understanding what Eid is. Um, the same can be said about, you know, my work environments with, like, secret ca- Santa's, like... That's not a thing for me, but I'm expected to do it. But then when Eid happens, I'm not getting messages from like all my coworkers and my boss being like, oh my God, happy Eid, Eid Mubarak, hope you have a great day. Nobody gives a shit (laughs) because they just don't know anything about it. But if I don't send a Merry Christmas because I forgot or because I just don't think about it, I'm like being hostile. There's this real hypocrisy. And that's kind of what I want to talk about right now. There's a real societal hypocrisy with the way we talk about Christmas and other religious holidays. Eid it's a very important time of year for Muslims. Uh, for those of you who don't know, we have two Eids a year, kind of one bigger one and one smaller one, but they're both equally significant. And I mean, some might call it like the Muslim Christmas, but I find that 
a little bit insulting because I really don't need my religious holiday to be defined by a Christian oh, one. Oh, we can't understand it through like its own terms. It needs to be framed through our uh, Christian perspective. Right? Like, everyone's like, oh, it's just Muslim Christmas. And I'm like, mm. Oh, I understand it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I know. It's so annoying. Um, but basically, like, Eid is – there's two events. I'll just do a quick explainer for those of you who don't know. Uh, we have a holy month called Ramadan where we fast, and it's all about, like – religious discipline and spirituality and kindness and generosity and charity. Uh, we fast 30 days of the month, no food, no water from sunrise to sunset. And then we feast with our families and you're supposed to donate money like every day. And it's really about building community ties, uh, taking care of the orphaned, the sick, the elderly, the vulnerable, the homeless. Um, and, you know, kind of also working on your religious discipline and being grateful for what you have and making sure that you help those that need stuff that you already have and they don't have, right? Uh, and then Eid is kind of the day after Ramadan finishes. It's the first day we're not fasting for 30 days. It's very exciting. Lots of food, lots of feasting, lots of community. Uh, we hang out with our family. We do gift giving as well, like Christmas. Um, it's pretty big. It is like, I guess, if you want to explain it, and I, you know what, I hate the whole it's like Muslim Christmas, but that is going to be helpful, I guess, for you guys to understand. Like when you guys have your close family dinners and you open your gifts up, that is like, what we do on Eve, right? It's like really important day for us. It's the most exciting day of the year. Um, and then we have two Eves. The other one is more so about charity and giving. So on the other Eve, you typically like either sacrifice an animal or something and you feed it to the poor and the needy. Um, so it's about feeding. It's, it's literally about feeding the homeless or feeding the needy, the other Eve. But they're both about charity and religious discipline. Anyway, the point is they're very important holidays for us. Okay. And they center around similar values to maybe some Christian holidays about family and kindness and love and community. And there are very real double standards in the way society approaches Eid or, you know, even any other holidays like Diwali or Hanukkah versus Christmas. There seems to be a value for Christmas as something that is this positive, good, heartwarming kind of day that unites a community and Eid is kind of just like either non-existent or like somewhat demonized and alienated, despite the fact that if we're going to talk about values, they're pretty similar. They're pretty similar in terms of like family, community, whatever. Uh, I think there's some really like this this year, this pandemic has given us some very clear examples of the different society, the different way society approaches like Eid and Christmas, uh, because it kind of brought out the worst, I think, in society. Earlier this year, Eid was uh, around, I think, June, if I'm not mistaken. It was around that time of year, like middle of the year, uh, April, May, June, kind of that time. Uh, and it was obviously during the pandemic here in Australia. And things were pretty dire at that time. We were getting quite a few new cases. But I think we were in like bubbles of like maximum 12 people in, in like a gathering or something like that. Like we weren't on lockdown. Uh, we were in Ramadan. We, were, we had our lockdown in Ramadan. And then um, on Eid, we were allowed small gatherings of like your immediate family so you could see like I think if at least in Sydney I think it was like you could see like your parents parents your parents your siblings your grandpa like that kind of like just kind of immediate family which was hard for a lot of us because Muslims really value family it's part of our religion um and Eid is about seeing all those family members that maybe don't see any other time like I have quite a large extended family and I see all of them on Eid I usually visit four or five houses on one day in Eid because you're going all around Sydney, meeting everybody, exchanging gifts. You're having like, you know, a meal at every one of these houses. It's, it's so important to us. So it was really hard 
either Ramadan was hard this year because we weren't able to have those connections. It was really lonely and kind of sad in that regard because it's just, at least for me, it is so much about family. It's like the time of the year where you, you really put family first. Um, after Eid and Ramadan, there was a spike in some areas in Melbourne and Sydney uh, with coronavirus cases. And despite having zero evidence of the cause, heaps of tabloids started printing headlines about how the Muslims have made the pandemic worse and, like, these Muslims don't know how to, like, you know, conduct themselves in society and we've just kind of gone around and spread the virus everywhere because we're just, you know, we're breaking the law by celebrating. There were, like, these full-on accusations that were unfounded, by the way, that targeted specifically, like, specific racialized Muslim communities, so going after, like, the Desi Muslim community and the Arab Muslim community. Um... And it was pretty fucked up. Like, it was actually very racist. And people were calling it at the time as being racist. But also, equally, on the other hand, heaps of fucking racists were using this as, like, a a jumping board to dive into racism and Islamophobia headfirst. I'm sure that a couple of people probably did visit their relatives on Eid. I'm not defending it, but, like, I imagine that happened because it's really hard to spend a long time on your own, especially as a lot of you Melbournians would know who were on lockdown for a very long time. Um... And the very few people that broke, like, the bubble rules and stuff were absolutely villainized and demonized by the media and by the society. It was, it was actually fucked. Like, Muslims were called, like, selfish, uncivilized. They were treated like savages for wanting to celebrate Eid. There was a lot of blame, a lot of anger, a lot of scapegoating. And there was this narrative of Muslims, like, being treated like we had failed to assimilate, uh, like we were selfish and purposefully endangering other people um, by wanting to celebrate you. Like, look at, look, at, look at the lack of empathy. Look at these people endangering the rest of us because they're so selfish and they put their religious practices above the law, which is fucked. I agree that, like, people probably shouldn't have been breaking isolation laws. I get it. But to be, like, villainizing an entire religious community for the actions of a few, I mean, it's not, it's very familiar to the Muslim community, but in a pandemic as well, and to, like, weaponize a pandemic to villainize the Muslim community is fucked up. But the reason I'm telling you this story is because now Christmas is coming. And yes, in Australia, the coronavirus is pretty under control. The pandemic is pretty under control. But there is literally no discussion on how people should be mindful of the pandemic during their celebrations. There is no discussion on like safety and maybe maybe being careful of who you're interacting with and stuff right now. And you know what? Maybe I get it because it's pretty under control now. But there's a, there's a very similar situation unfolding in the UK that I think is really topical at the moment. In the UK, Eid was cancelled two hours before it started. Eid celebrations started around 9.30pm because uh, we go by the lunar calendar islamically. So Eid, celebra- Eid celebrations started around 9.30pm and literally two hours before that, the government announced, actually, you can't do any of this stuff. They added on these like lockdown rules and bubbles and stuff and everybody's Eid plans got fucked. Two hours before Eid, people had travelled like from all over the place to see their family and then they just had nowhere to go because they had to isolate now and where they're going to fucking go because they've already travelled there. People took it mostly pretty well. There was obviously anger and outrage just at how last minute it was because people were kind of like, why did you, why didn't you just do this a couple of days ago so that we wouldn't have made plans and stuff. Now we've got our family here and we're breaking the rules, but they had already arrived and then you put your rules in place. What were we supposed to do? So there was a lot of upset in the UK, um, a lot of accusations of the government doing it on purpose to target Muslims, which maybe sounds dramatic, but given the political 
kind of situation in the UK right now, the the kind of climate that's happening there, it, it makes sense that those accusations would come up because things are pretty fucked. I mean, Boris Johnson is in leadership right now. I think that tells you all you need to know. But the point is, it was pretty bad and like Muslims were villainized for wanting to celebrate Eid during a pandemic, okay? Now, Christmas in two weeks and Boris Johnson in the UK has just announced a campaign to save Christmas where the government is, despite the fact that cases are rising and transmission, like local community transmission is rising in the UK and their cases are pretty bad at the moment, they are going to relax lockdown laws in order for people to be able to celebrate Christmas because people deserve to celebrate is what they reckon. Um, So there's this whole campaign now launched to save Christmas and allow people the chance to celebrate their holidays because people deserve it. It's been a hard year. We've been suffering. You know what? Let us change the rules a little bit. Let us give you some leeway so you guys can celebrate. This pisses me off. Like, imagine imagine the way, like, how Muslims wanted to celebrate and we were villainized for it. But then when people want to celebrate Christmas, it's totally fair that they would want to break from their horrible lives during the pandemic. It's totally fair that they would want to see their family during a hard time. Like, the fact that we can literally change laws and rules and regulations for people to celebrate Christmas for the sake of, like, the Christmas spirit, despite the medical emergencies that that's going to cause and the spike in the pandemic that that's going to cause... But like, God forbid Muslims see their grandparents on Eid. It's fucking ridiculous. Like to me, it's just outright like racist double standards. In the UK, medical professionals, scientists, doctors are really kind of alarmed at the situation. Uh, There's an article by The Independent, I think, that discusses kind of the fact that there's new strains at the moment. They've discovered several new strains of the coronavirus, the spikes in transmissions in London and Kent. Uh, This is not a good idea. Like, relaxing restrictions right now is not a good idea, according to the experts. Um, But the Conservatives are running this Safe Christmas campaign, and that seems to be more important. Like, celebrating Christmas and being able to see your family on Christmas this one time of the year is more important than the safety of millions of people, and it's more important than controlling the virus. And I just find that so fucking hypocritical, because all over the world, when it's Muslims that want to do that, we're savages. We're uncivilized. We're selfish. How dare we? How dare we put a religious holiday over other people's safety? But when it's Christmas, it's Christmas, guys. It's Christmas, you know. And it's it's upsetting. It just I think the reason I'm highlighting this story is just to show like there is so much hypocrisy with the way society treats Christian holidays versus other religious holidays. We shouldn't have these. They shouldn't be treated differently. Like these holidays have the same amount of importance religiously for each group, respectively. And to villainize one and treat one like it's some savage backwards thing and to like actually endanger people for the other one is unfair. And I think it's like an obvious example of what I'm talking about. It's interesting how much this pandemic this year has uncovered so many of the contradictions and hypocrisies that seem to underpin our society. I mean, we see it with everything. We see it with this currently the way uh, different religions, different people Uh, are given certain privileges in society and how the media can be used to demonize others for the exact same act. We see it even with workers before the pandemic. Fast food workers or or retail workers were apparently uh, would only be paid minimum wage because their jobs weren't particularly important. But when the pandemic strikes, apparently they're essential workers and and, uh, completely are the foundation of our society. So while the pandemic has been dreadful and bad and so many people have lost their life because of it, um, it's interesting how much it has uncovered the sort of ideologies that obfuscate everything. Exactly. 
I did some research into the sentiment around all this stuff in the UK at the moment and the double standards of Christmas and Eid. Uh, and while most Muslim commentators are being quoted in the article saying like, you know what, like we're happy that our Christian and other counterparts are able to celebrate their holidays because we didn't get to and it really sucked not being able to do that. So we're happy that you guys don't have to feel the resentment and upset that we had to feel, which is lovely. Uh, but there's also some other Muslim people discussing like their own resentment with this issue. Uh, there was a person in an article that I was reading by The Guardian uh, saying that they felt really insulted about the rush to save Christmas when Eid was ignored, not only ignored, but condemned. There are other stories I've been kind of reading from Muslim people in these countries and areas just saying how it kind of just felt like a slap to the face. Like it kind of just said, we don't value you, but we value these other people of this other religion or subculture or whatever. Um, and I think, yeah, it's a really obvious way that society shows what it does and doesn't value. Uh, there's another article... Well, you know what? There's actually a bunch. I'm not even going to bother listing all the articles because there's actually heaps and just Google it about like the whole cancellation of Eid and saving Christmas. But something that's come up again and again when I'm reading this is the reminders of how much fucking gaslighting Muslims have gone through this year. Like the gaslighting when Muslims want to celebrate Eid during the pandemic, we're insensitive, selfish, putting our needs before others, unassimilated, blah, 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 blah. When it comes to Christmas though... People deserve to celebrate. They deserve to see their families in such trying times. There's this systematic dehumanization and othering of Muslims at the moment that, I mean, has always happened, but I think the pandemic is really uncovering it given Christmas and Eid, where it's this racist ideology that implicitly tells us we don't belong, that we don't matter, that we don't deserve happiness, that we don't have an entitlement to celebrate our religion. And the fact that, like, if we don't support... So, oh, no, not even don't support. If we just personally, just on an individual level, don't want to celebrate Christmas... We're the fucking Grinch. Like, the entitlement that society has to our time, to our resources, to our values, to our beliefs is insulting. And while, I mean, I'm not anti-Christmas. Like, I'm obviously happy for everybody to celebrate Christmas in the way that they want to. But the frustration lies in the fact that I'm expected to celebrate Christmas when I don't want to. And I'm not allowed to celebrate Eid the way I want to either. There's a subjugation. There's, I feel like, Sometimes I feel like a second-class citizen in that regard. You know, like, I just don't matter as much as everybody else because I'm not allowed to do what people want to do. It's not fair. And I think what this fundamentally shows about our society is not even just, like, the inherent disregard of Muslims, but the fact that secularism in our society doesn't exist. There's no such thing as a secular society in the West. There actually just isn't. We live by the Christian calendar. We have public holidays for Christian holidays and other religious holidays are not institutionally recognised in the slightest. Uh, every year there is always someone missing from my Eid celebrations. There's always a family member or friend that isn't available because they still have to work because we don't have the luxury of having time off for our religious holidays. I usually get a time off from my retail job because I innate that shit in advance and I have a good team. But not everybody's as lucky as that. You know, not everybody has an understanding workplace and it's not like legally they're entitled to have that day off. They're not, unfortunately. There are so many times where like Muslim family members have just had to work because their boss is like, sorry, we can't find anybody to cover that day. You'll just have to come in. Imagine if you had to do that on Christmas. Which is absurd. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Imagine, imagine if like you had to work on Christmas when all your family and friends are religious and celebrating because your boss was like, sorry, there's nobody to cover. It happens. I know people that's happened to. There is so much outrage when Muslim, Jewish, Hindu, etc. people ask for people around us to be respectful of our religion. 
Teachers get shitty at Muslim kids who leave class for 10 minutes to pray. People get mad that they may have to give time off to non-Christian religious people for various holidays. And there is always that racist asshole that cries out, imagine if a Christian kid asked for that special treatment. Imagine if a Christian kid demanded, you know, blah, 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 blah. But the truth is, a Christian kid would never have to because our society is literally built around their beliefs. Our laws outlawed abortion and same-sex marriage until just a couple of years ago. Like, I mean, abortion was only legalised last year in New South Wales because of Christian values. Despite the fact that this is meant to be a secular state, every single Christian holiday is a day off school. Our country literally schedules its calendars and retail periods and school holidays around Christmas. Because in the West secularism doesn't really exist, at least not in the way that we think it does. It doesn't mean that we are a-religious. It just means we don't recognize religions that aren't Christianity. Christmas is more than just, you know, a Christian holiday in this country and in the West in general. It's seen as an essential kind of day. It's essential to the unification of society. There's this magical kind of whimsical idea of Christmas. It's this day for everyone to celebrate. um, And it's been universalized by capitalism. Because there's a broader consumerist culture that's, that benefits of Christmas. Like, it's not just a Christian holiday it used to be, but now there is an entire economy tied to it. The Christmas magic stuff is a story sold to you so that you buy into Christmas culture because it's the biggest retail event of the year. It's wild that we've normalized, you know, non-Christians celebrating a religious holiday. It's one of capitalism's most clever you know, most successful wins. It's consumption as a form of religious celebration. And I want to put a disclaimer. This is obviously no hate to anybody that celebrates Christmas. Absolutely. I love that you love Christmas. And I love, you know, like, I love the values behind Christmas because it's really similar to the values behind Eid with, like, supporting your community and stuff. But I do think we've got to be critical in the way society as a whole, A, subjugates people who don't celebrate Christmas and B, commodifies the fuck out of Christmas to turn it into something that it kind of never was meant to be. Exactly. I mean, it's about how the values of Christmas are surrendered to the logic of capitalism. It would seem that the consumerism of the Christmas season would be at odds with its religious significance. And while uh, while Christmas has never been super important to me as a religious exercise, despite being raised to acknowledge its uh, religious aspects, I've always recognized an ongoing tension every December between the sacred and the materialistic aspects of Christmas. Um, Actually, however, an academic article I recently found written by Jean Bartonuk and Boram Doe suggests that there isn't a disconnect, that Christmas isn't as paradoxical as it seems. Um, In the article, they discuss how religion mixed with capitalism can come to make the profane sacred. And what is profane, often linked to consumerism and materialism in this case, is constantly changing with time. And they examined it in a way that sort of blew my mind and made everything come together as they offer a historical account of Christmas as an American and British tradition, which of course applies to Australia. So first they discussed the British uh, colonists who settled in America and who were typically of the Calvinist uh, faith. And the article suggests that one of Calvin's main theological contributions was the belief that the commercial world appears to be part of God's created order. So even in uh, the base, the the beginning of uh, colonialism, it was setting the basis for a religiously sacred consumerist culture. Then from there leading into the early to mid 20th century, uh, the presence of presence, haha pun, I guess not intended, but the presence of, uh, of consumerist culture uh, into the Christmas celebration became far more prevalent. 
Um, and there was actually an ongoing tension during that period where there was a lot of religious critique focusing on how Christmas consumer culture uh, was sort of taking the Christ down of Christmas, how, how there was, a, what they say, an eclipse of religious meaning, um, which, is, which is really interesting because now that is completely contrasted with the present moment, the 21st century, where it's the complete opposite way, where there's more hysteria about companies taking out the Christmas message from their advertising. Uh, it's so what was once profane, what was mon- once almost blasphemous, which was the presence of Christmas as a marketing tool, has now flipped on itself as now there is always fear every year that Christmas will be removed from consumer culture. So now the rituals of Christmas shopping, the rituals of Christmas sa- uh, spending has become sacred in and of itself, which is fascinating to me. Yeah, like initially the co- – like. Companies would have been accused of co-opting Christmas. It would have been seen as insensitive, like don't make our religion your prop. You know, that's kind of what it was initially. Like there was a lot of hostility to companies that kind of used Christmas as a marketing ploy to sell products. But like Mitch said, now it's the opposite. And if a company doesn't, it's like, what, is this the war on Christmas? Like, are you anti-Christian? I mean, no company ever would because it would be the worst business decision ever. But the fact is it would be offensive to not acknowledge or celebrate Christmas as a business. And, you know, like I said earlier, as an individual, like I've offended many people by not celebrating Christmas because now that's profane. Whereas back in the day, somebody maybe using Christmas in a disingenuous way by using it as like a money-making thing or something, that was sacrilegious. And now it's normal. Yeah, it's like spending as a form of prayer. That's ultimately uh, what we've come to. Uh, Consumerism as a religious exercise. I feel like that very much explains this current moment. And while we're on the course of consumerism, there's just something that infuriates me every single year. And now I'm going to use this as my platform. To, He's been to waiting for this round. I, I, I have. For I a have. long time. It's a long time coming. <laughs> and it's about stocking fillers. The shit that no one wants and that doesn't need to exist. Okay. And, okay. this. All right, let me calm down. Dudes always talk about how the economy is so efficient and how it's so rational and that it's a science. But shit clearly isn't true, and I'll tell you why. If you did an economics or commerce course in high school or you did a microeconomics 101 course in university, you would have been taught that the free market is a relationship between supply and demand. Consumers demand goods or services at a certain price, and consumers are willing Sorry, and producers are willing to supply that good or service at this price. And through the science and magic of the free market, the intersection of supply and demand will ultimately meet in the middle, creating a market equilibrium, which is pretty much when everything fits together harmoniously, capitalism is working efficiently, and the best outcomes are realized. And this works, apparently, because the market is full of reasonable individuals that are able to make rational decisions. That is the basis of the free market logic. It is rationality. But the bullshit knick-knack nothingness that plagues all shops during Christmas time clearly suggests something different. Every year, millions of people buy silly plastic toys that no one wants to gift to people whose whose wants they don't really understand. There is zero demand for these things, but there is abundant supply. It is completely irrational. And it makes my blood boil to think of a capitalist who is now a millionaire because they mass-produce shitty Rudolph the Red-Dose reindeer pens that get thrown away or lost before the year concludes. People only buy this shit because it's Christmas time and they know they need to fill up little Ryan's stocking 
with nonsense that he doesn't want because it's a symbolic gesture that is socially required. The demand for these items aren't inherent or rational. They are manufactured and self, self-fulfilling. It is manufactured demand and it just frustrates me. It, it, it's, okay, that's my TED talk. That's my TED talk. <laughs> that was intense. That I was liked in- it. Um, but no, exactly. Look, what inspired this rant was that we were in a Bath and Body Works the other day and I fucking love Bath and Body Works, right? But they have like little hand sanitizers and the hand you can buy an accessory for the hand. So it's a, it's, first of all, it's an accessory for hand sanitizers, which is already ludicrous to me. But on top of that, the hand sanitizer like holder things, but not like to hang it somewhere. Like it's just you put your hand sanitizer in this like silicone thing. It has no purpose. And they've got like stocking filler ones that are like little rainies and shit, but they are ugly as fuck. They are like the most hideous thing you've ever seen in your life. No one wants it. I tell you now, that bin of them in Bath and Body Works has been full since Christmas season started because nobody's fucking buying this shit. It just exists for the sake that they're like, oh, we should probably have something there. It exists just to exist. Yeah. For the sake of existing. No one is buying this shit. No one is buying it. And it just infuriates me when you get all these people talking about the economy in completely rational terms, because this is proof that the economy is completely irrational. Like people just buy things for the sake of buying things. It's a symbolic gesture. And if you need any proof that capitalism is a failure, it's that Bath and Body Works bin. Yeah. They need to start putting that in some Marxist textbooks or something. That Bath and Body Works bin inspired this episode. Like we were so infuriated by the Bath and Body Works bin that we were like, that's it. We have to do an episode on Christmas culture and consumerism because it's pissing me off. <laughs> Ugh. Anyway, I guess the point of this episode today is like, first of all, to make you more critical of the way we normalize Christmas as something that everybody should be doing. I imagine that a lot of you accidentally have expected your non kind of Christian or Western friends to celebrate Christmas with you without maybe understanding that that can be a bit insensitive, which is fair if you didn't know any better, but this is your moment. This is your moment to understand and be a bit more empathetic to the people in your life who don't celebrate Christmas because for people like me, it fucking sucks. And I'm sick of people expecting me to do shit on Christmas when I don't celebrate Christmas. Like, let's not erase non-Western religions, please. Let's not erase our entire... Like, I have a very rich culture and history of my religion that has nothing to do with Christmas and I'm not about to sacrifice it and erase it so I can assimilate and be colonized for Christmas. And it's also forcing you to celebrate Christmas when people pretend like your celebration doesn't even exist. Yeah, like, fuck off. (laughs) Moral of the story, get fucked. No, but for real. Like, and then on top of that, you know, if we're going to talk about things like that, then people like me get forced to celebrate Christmas. And what do I have to buy? Shitty fucking Christmas things that just exist for the sake of existing because now I have to buy someone some Kris Kringle thing that I didn't want to buy because I don't celebrate Christmas, but I didn't want to be the angry brown girl, so I just did it. And it's just this toxic cycle of like not recognizing my religion, making me really resentful, then forcing me to assimilate, then for forcing me into the Christmas consumerist culture that I want nothing to do with. And that culture in itself is toxic and, like, sacrilegious and, like, fucked. So, yeah, that's our episode. But that being said... Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I actually mean that genuinely. Because, like, I mean, like I said, I did do Christmas with Mitch's family. And aside from that little hiccup, like, I did enjoy it. Because it is just about loving the people around you when you get down to it. When you ignore the commodified, consumeristic elements of Christmas that capitalism is selling to you, it can be a really beautiful day. And for some people, it really, really is. You know, I mean, Christmas is just like the Christian Eid. Oh, I get it now. You get it now? I like, get that's it. what it is. Before we end this episode, we have our Patreon question of the week. On our page, we have a little question box for our top two tier patrons uh, where you can ask us absolutely anything. 
and we'll pick one at random each week. So this week, Naya asks, Hello, I would love to know what books you would recommend. Lately, I've been trying to widen my scope by reading books by POC writers, feminist writers, and gender diverse people. But also, I love a good fiction book too, by any of these authors. Thanks so much. This is a good time to be asking for books because I have like just gotten over my reading block. I have had a reading block for like two years. <laughs> and I'm finally back in. I'm finally back and I'm reading again. If we want to talk about like nonfiction, like kind of political books, uh, I would recommend Hood Feminism by Mickey Kendall. Uh, she is famous on Black Twitter and then she has a really great book out that critiques um, white women's role in like leaving behind women of color in feminism. It is really great. I haven't finished it. I started it. I am, you know, I'm going to tell you this now because it's going to be relevant to all the rest of my book recommendations. I have a bad habit of starting books and not finishing them because I started a new book and then another new book. But I have read some of Hood Feminism and I am making my way through it incrementally. And it is really good, really compelling writing, good storytelling, but also like it's nonfiction and really informative. So I do recommend that. And of course, you guys know I love White Tears, Brown Scars by Ruby Hamad. So I'm going to recommend that too. Another critique of feminism. Uh, it's more of a historical analysis, but it's really, really good, really compelling. Another nonfiction is Dark Emu by Bruce Pascal, which is uh, another kind of historical analysis of the way that, uh, like, First Nations people kind of have been have been betrayed by history. There's, like, a lot of really incorrect ideas about the way Aboriginal society functions. This book corrects that. It's really, really good, really enlightening read. If we want to talk about fiction... I've just started a book called The Death of Vivek Oji by Akweke Imezi. I love it so much. Uh, I've only read like three or four chapters in, but it's really, really good. Um, written by a woman of color, set in Nigeria. Uh, I really, really recommend reading that one. And also, I've started Girl, Woman, Other by Bernadine Evaristo. I uh, haven't finished it yet because I could only read the Google previews because I'm waiting on it to become available at the library. But when I put out a request to my story a couple of days ago asking people to recommend me fiction books, literally like 90% of people recommended this book. Girl, Woman, Other is like one of the books of this year, one of the most famous books of this year. Everybody's talking about it. It's really great, um, quite revolutionary in the way it doesn't use syntax in its writing and it really kind of plays around with literary features. But I found it, despite that, very easy to read. So I'll recommend those too. Oh, and also just a quick note. Um, I haven't read this, but if you're looking for writing by gender non-conforming people, Alec Vaid Menon is a gender non-conforming writer who has a book called Beyond the Gender Binary that is meant to be really, really good. I haven't read it, but I follow them on Instagram and would highly recommend their Instagram account if you're looking to kind of decolonize your ideas around gender or learn more about gender diversity and the gender experience or just like honestly just learn a lot from somebody who is an authority on that situation. They have really informative a history kind of style posts on their Instagram that deconstruct a lot of ideas around gender. So check them out at Alok V. Menon uh, on Instagram. Cool. There's a few books that I've read this year that I think were really good and I really want, want to recommend, all by women writers. The, uh, the first one is uh, Fearing the Black Body, the, the Racial Origins of Fat Phobia by Sabrina Strings. Um, it functions as just a really eye-opening but also just really engagingly written uh, historical account of the origins of, of fat phobia and how much is linked to the sort of the shapes and uh, way people perceive black bodies uh, is really eye-opening and despite it tracking centuries of uh, of history it is extremely relevant today uh, the next book is a uh, how to do nothing by jenny odell which is this sort of anti-capitalist raging critique of the attention economy 
but it also functions on a more personal level while it's both reflecting on sort of theoretical political anti-capitalist academia but also trying to reflect it back on how we can incorporate that into our own lives how we can resist the attention economy how we can resist the way facebook uh google youtube etc infiltrate our life uh the next book is a fiction one that I enjoyed, I don't know if enjoy is the right word, because it's, it's definitely difficult to read, but it's called Milkman by uh, Anna Burns. It won the Man Booker Prize a few years ago, and it very much deals with a community of gossip and hearsay, and it's ultimately a book, I guess, of inaction, and how men can take advantage of women's uh, inaction to take advantage of them. Um, I wouldn't say it's a, it's a fun read, it's often very difficult, but it's incredibly well-written. And I would recommend for for those who that sounds interesting to, I guess. Uh, And the last book I want to recommend is uh, Forms, Whole Rhythm, Hierarchy and Network by Caroline Levine. It's a sort of academic book that deals with uh, literary theory and applying it to an anti-capitalist critique. So those who are interested in some some academic reading, I would very much recommend that book if literary theory interests you. Now is a good time to talk about our sponsors for the episode, which is you, our listeners. Uh, specifically, we'd like to thank Everett, Bronte, Beck, Naya, Rachel, Lucia, Sarah, Liz, Belle, and Katie. So thank you so much. Before I do my usual ending, I just want to let you guys know this is our last episode for the year. So we'll be back in two weeks. Don't panic. Uh, we're just going to take this week and next week off and we'll be back in the new year with some new content for you guys and some exciting collabs. Uh, But just so you guys know, so don't panic if we don't upload next week. We're fine. (laughs) If you thought our discussion today was interesting, thought-provoking, or something you learned from, please consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Saliha. If signing up isn't your thing, you can also donate to our PayPal link at paypal.me forward slash Saliha to support future episodes. Both the PayPal and Patreon links are in my Instagram bio, so check them out over there at Saliha Official. And give me a follow if you liked today's episode. And follow my Instagram at mitches.miscellanea for discussions around film, music, and books. Also, if you have any comments or suggestions or you want to add to the discussion, you can DM me or email us at podcast at gmail.com. And please include your name, pronouns, and any other important info. And of course, remember to follow and subscribe. It really helps the podcast get out there. Thank you. Bye. Bye.